What an excellent day for an exorcism. You'd like that? Intensely. But wouldn't that drive you out of Reagan? It would bring us together. You and Reagan. You and us. I love that voice. It, you know, I just realized that it sounds like Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Yeah. And Snapple fact, that is not uh, Linda Blair doing the voice, obviously. I wouldn't have figured. No, that is the actress Eileen Dietz, who also doubled for Reagan during, or doubled Linda Blair during the more violent scenes. Um, the scene, there's a couple shots when she's wearing the vomiting prosthetic, uh-huh. is Eileen Dietz, um, when she's actually jamming the cross in, stuff like that, that. A child shouldn't do. They took it pretty far what they could get away with with a kid, but you can only... It's no Blue Lagoon. No, you can do so much. But, uh, yeah, we want to welcome you guys back for Episode 9, our Halloween festivities continue. Hello. Mm -hmm. The I am your host, Bob Barrow. And I'm your co-host, Jacqueline Barrow. Hey. So uh, we hope you guys checked out our last episode where we discussed John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy. I feel like Uh, we just did it. I know. It's probably because we actually did oh, just right. do right. it. Um, Jack is... Well, Jack, why don't you tell them where the hell you're going to be next week? My husband and I are going on a holiday. Like a real live adult holiday. <laughs> a real no fooling holiday, gang. We're going to the Mayan Riviera. Oh. We're taking uh, our honeymoon. A long, long overdue Four honeymoon. years later. Yeah. We did a, we did a quickie. <laughs> and now we have Sawyer. Yeah. No. Uh. <laughs> Pretty much... <laughs> So I'll be gone next week, so we're, we're pre-recording. Yes, so that's why it feels like we just recorded the last episode, because we recorded it less than a week ago. Yeah. And we never really, we don't ever get episodes banked. Like no. Like we kind of planned we would do. It's always like, we'll get it done the week before. It's like Tuesday nights, like, shit, we should really watch these four movies tonight. Yeah, <laughs> and, then and then we get, get annoyed. And yeah. That's but, okay. We're yeah. here. We're here we are. Yeah, so the Halloween festivities are continuing. So... Last week we talked about the end of the world, so what we thought we would do for this episode, in keeping with the true meaning of the holiday and the true spirit of horror films themselves, is talk about movies that, when we first saw them, actually scared us. Now, that's... When you're a kid, it's a little easier uh, to be scared by movies, but some of these movie, one of these movies still scares one of us. So uh, let's get into it and we'll see, we'll see who wins. All right. So Jack, what <clears throat> movies are we discussing this week? We are discussing, I don't have all like the research you don't, done. I, I can hear. I don't, I want to sound professional. Uh, Bernard Rose's 1992 Candyman. Yep. Oh, I feel like Mrs. Slaughter in the library. I know. Now kids, read. And William... Freakin'. Freakin'. Freakin' Realium. Freakin'. Freakin'. Freakin' Freakin' Deacon. Yeah. Hey, that's funny. Freakin' Deacon. Uh, 1973's The Exorcist. Ooh. <laughs> okay, let's start with Jack's Choice. Yes. So, we are starting with Candyman. So, we might as well tell the original stories then of how these films first scared us. So, Jack, tell us a spooky story. I'll tell you a spooky story. It was 1992. (laughs) No, so there is a background to this. So I was at a sleepover birthday party for my friend Robin Spears. And there was probably seven of us girls, seven of us that grew up together in elementary school. This stopped moving. Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. It picked up. So Jack's just looking at the uh, the garage band file uh, and it's... 
It's good. We're yeah, good. We're good. Everything's okay. So we were at the sleepover, and we were probably 10, maybe 10. Yeah. Um, and we decided that we were going to be really bad, and we were going <laughs> to watch a scary movie. It's how bad this group of girls were Like a really age. scary movie. Yeah. Uh, so we got Aaron's sister to sneak out of the house. Robin's sister? Yes. Robin's sister Erin? Oh, sorry. Robin's sister Erin. Okay. Did I say Erin's sister? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> uh, we got Robin's sister Erin to sneak out of the house, and she went over to Mr. Convenience yep. and got us a horror movie. Now, she was only like a year or two at most older than us, so yep. how she ever came back with a rated R movie, we don't know. Just for those that are local, for those that are Peterborough-based, the Mr. Convenience on River Road by Autonomy Valley Public School was just the greatest place to get movies from when you were kids. Because they'd rent you fucking anything. Oh, yeah. Like, there was no, like, did your parents say this is okay? We used to buy cigarettes with a note. (laughs) Like, we didn't smoke them, but our parents would send us to get cigarettes. More more important. Actually, I don't think mom and dad ever did that. It was probably uh, Gus. Yeah. Mary's boyfriend. Yeah. But, but our parents would let us go, and then yeah. we kept the change. Yeah. <laughs> we are very responsible. It was a thing. different time. It was. So Erin went to get this movie, and then on the way back, she tripped the house alarm sneaking in the basement window uh, because we weren't obviously weren't allowed to be out after dark. So you guys were already wound to begin with yeah. with, the, with this felony. The spiritual that was a crazy. We were we were hopped up on Green Day Dookie because that album came out. And we didn't realize what that song, the secret song, was all about. <laughs> I was thinking of you. <laughs> so what we had done at the sleepover is prepare like a tableau kind of lip sync to it for the talent show that was coming up that year until I think one of our parents intervened and told us that it was actually about masturbation. We had no idea. We thought it was a nice love song. Is that why you got... Didn't you guys do the Beatles one that year instead? Uh, no. Maxwell Silverhand oh, or yeah, whatever? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Probably we switched it out for violence instead of sex. Yeah. Self-love. Anyway, <laughs> we then proceeded to watch Candyman in the dark. And we had never really seen a horror movie to this caliber. Yeah. Ever. At least I hadn't. And we were scared shitless. So after the movie was over, of course, we're a bunch of girls. We got to go to the bathroom. Well, Crystal Lindsay gets the idea that we should do Candyman in the mirror. We should do it. We should do it. Well, that was the end of that. And then, of course, (laughs) because we had to use the toilet, we thought there was bees in the toilet. It was just, it was all downhill. I mean, I don't think any of us were traumatized for life. Yeah. But that was my first real movie scare where I was scared. Well, it's perfect. Like, those those are the kind of tales that you want with those kind of early scares. Yeah. I think it's one of the strong benefits, one of the best benefits of being able to go and rent a movie because you get to have, it's not like you just, what movie should we watch guys? Well, let's go on Netflix and let's see what's there. And you have this whole ritual and tale and you get the mythology because how 25 years later you have this well, story. And I went to countless birthday parties and there's only a couple that ever stand out. Yeah. And that was one of them because of what happened. Like, I didn't care about the movie since then. I remember, like, there was a dick in the toilet and bees. And that's about all I remember out of the movie. <laughs> it's dicks and bees. Well, imagine how traumatizing that is for a 10-year-old girls to be watching that. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad would have lost it. But we never, it never even affected us later. It's not like my girl that affected my psyche for the next 15 years. Yeah. Kind of thing. I was more like if it was dramatic and emotional and there was death and suffering, 
on the dramatic side instead of the horror side, it affected me. The horror, I guess, clung on to you yeah. a little more heavily. It did. It globbed on real <coughs> Like a dangleberry. Like, yeah, just shit and Velcro, really. <laughs> but it's something else that's important to remember. I've talked about this before. I talked about it on a frame apart, and I might have talked about it here. That before streaming and before the internet and everything, horror movies, certain horror movies, there was some real cultural weight to them. These these movies were something that were talked about because they weren't easy to get. You had to go get somebody to find them for you. It was like, you know, I guess the equivalent of trying to get your older sibling to go buy you beer or something. Yeah. Like you had to, someone had to bring this to you. And also at the time, I don't know if the myth existed before the movie or the movie really popularized it, but the idea of saying Candyman in the mirror was something that kids took seriously. Like this was Well, the same as we did Bloody Mary. Yeah. This wasn't something that was like, oh, is it real? Well, let's Google it. Like you, there was a real trepidation yeah. about standing there and doing something like that, and that plays into the movie so well because it's all about the investigation of myths. That's what the the plot revolves around a a grad student from a university, her and her friend, or were her and her colleague are working on their dissertation about myths urban and legends. urban legends. So it's I. I find it sad that that kind of stuff is lost. I don't know if kids take that seriously anymore. Oh, they do. It just, it has to be so much more complex. Like, well, Slender, Slender Man, Man was a big one with Logan. And then now it's more about the real danger of people getting to your children through the internet. Yeah. So it's less about whether an urban legend is true. They can look it up, find out right away. But we are scared that it's not Slenderman. It's some disgusting pervert in a basement somewhere. Yeah. Watching your kids through the Tomcat game or something like, so yeah, there's a bit of magic that's lost. Um, I feel this was the same time that we were mucking around with the Ouija board and yes. we weren't allowed to have a Ouija board in our house. Nope. And well, I guess you could say we were kind of religious. We didn't ascribe to religion. Mom loved the ritual of going to church, but yeah. they're superstitious more than anything. I think superstitious is the better word because we've, uh, again, this is something I've talked about at length when I was doing a frame apart, but our our parents' best friends growing up, the Johnsons, they were Rosicrucians, they were UFO hunters, they were spiritualists, astrology. astrology, everything. So at the time that Jack's watching Candyman and I first found Hellraiser 3, we, every weekend, were going to the Johnsons for dinner, and stuff like this was being told to us by adults as stuff that could really get you. like Or uh, aliens. Oh, God. The fuck Remember it. when we saw the McPhersons? Oh, my <laughs> God. This, the, Mc... the McPhersons actually scared me, which would I have been... I was so horrible. We, we should have talked about the McPherson takes. It's on YouTube. Is it really? Yeah. I don't know if I could watch it again. Oh, my God. It's horrible. It's, well, it's, so it's terrible. The McPhersons was pre-Blair pre Witch, where somebody made this video of a, a, a handheld camera... Yeah. Found footage kind of thing um, where aliens come and terrorize this family and end up taking them, killing yeah. them. I don't know. I can't well, remember. Would, I've looked into this. Do you, do you know the story of how this all came no, about? No, So I'll just as a quick, a quick side note. So the Johnsons received this tape like through a mailing network like you hear about. So the Johnsons received this tape through kind of this underground mailing network of UFO enthusiasts, supernatural enthusiasts, which is how you used to do it. There weren't websites you could go to. No. You subscribed to newsletters. Yeah. So they got this tape, like they would get stuff from time to time, and were told that this might be real. 
What it turns out it was is that Fox or some network, because aliens were all the rage in the 90s, especially because the X-Files really brought it back into prominence and the explosion of home video and all that stuff. One of the major networks had had this idea that we're going to do a two-part like primetime event. We're going to show this very well, for the 90s, researched documentary about aliens and what this event was based off of, the supposed story. And then we're going to do, instead of just showing clips throughout the show, we're going to put together a full dramatization of the events, a recreation of what this could be. Well, the network fucked up how they aired everything. So I'm going to do a lot of hand talking right now. It's very dramatic. It's okay. Um, They fucked up how they were going to air it all. So they aired the documentary in some places but in other markets, they just aired the recreation, the tape, with no explanation of what people were seeing. Right. So if you lived in a place where you tuned in and they showed you the doc and throughout the whole thing, like, and tune in next because we're going to be doing and you'll see what it is, you're like, oh, that's neat. That's a neat accompaniment to this. Well, for other people, turned it on and it was like War of the Worlds. You're like. What well, am I watching? I know that mom and dad, or dad probably more than mom, gave it to us to watch. I was like, here guys, check this out. We don't know if it's real or fake. And for a long time, we didn't know either. No. Not until the internet. Years later, I thought about so I'm like, I wonder if the McPherson tape's on the internet. And it is. It's on YouTube. You we can, watched you it unaccompanied. Yeah, and under the guise that this is real. no disaster management after <laughs> no. we watched it. Other than discussing, like... The big grays or little grays and yeah. the lizard people and all those things that could be real. We're not sure. There's been yeah. encounters in this house that you're sitting in, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> we were, it, got a, it was a little raw having to deal with that, so... But, I mean, it just it adds to the fodder of a hilarious childhood memories. Yeah. And, and so... Sorry. sorry. No, um, This is a, Candyman's along the same line. Yeah. So let's get let's, back let's on... Let's talk about the, the film itself. So I I had watched it in high school when I bought it, but I hadn't really watched it since. I'd watched the second one more, uh, Farewell to the Flesh, and but I I never Candyman didn't stick out for me, which he, I'm surprised. Yeah, he like I love Clive Barker, and this is based off Clive Barker's short story The Forbidden from I think Volume Six of Books of Blood, but it just I didn't give it much of a second thought. But it's something that had always been held in very high regard in the horror community. Right. But coming back to it this time, I think I was so furious that I haven't been watching mm-hmm. it. Because, oh my God, this film is so fucking smart. It's sometimes you watch a horror movie that's just really good. Like, oh man, like they blew up the buys or whatever. But this is like George Romero living dead movies smart. Where they're making huge political statements, but they're not beating you over the head with it. No, and I'm surprised for the time, because usually I do not like movies from this time period, specifically into the 80s, late 80s, early 90s. I just find them cheesy for my taste, but Mm -hmm. this one was creepy. And it was, we were enraptured through the whole thing. Even Marty was like, yeah, that was really good. Yeah. Well, it's... It's so gothic and rich in its photography and presentation and the music. But then you're getting all... Because it could have easily just turned into a vengeful spirit in the projects is killing people. Yeah. Like, that's... 
that's the safe movie to make. Yeah. You know, the sensible film to make, really. Not like, okay, we're going to do that, but we're dealing with all these issues of racism and society's ills. And I think, especially because the dialogue is so much more prevalent now mm-hmm. about especially white privilege and what we can, what we were always so willing in society to just ignore, you know, like it's, they even talk about in the movie, oh, that's, that's the green. We just let them go. Well, we don't go and try and help. Yeah. And the white privilege that's in this before that term even became a thing, uh, is a lot different than it is now. So I think now you would see a white woman afraid to go into the projects, whereas the privilege that was there in the 90s was even more so in this film that she just goes in without even a thought. This is like an amusement park to her. She's not actually understanding the threat, and the the black woman is like, this is not okay. Like, you don't... She's privileged. She comes from the other side of town, her um, faculty member, but she understands it. Yeah. Well, it's it's that this is not a game. And no. she's, uh, the the main character is, she treats it like it's none of it's real to her. The the poverty that she can see out her window looking across town at the projects, that's just, that's just another myth for her to investigate. It's something that's completely removed from her reality. And like you said, even when she's there, she just kind of floats through it. Yeah. And, you know, breaking into old apartments and talking to whoever without a care in the world. I'd be, Until, I'd be terrified yeah. Well, to go to a project in Peterborough, let alone you're, is I think in Chicago? Uh, yes. South Central? South Side, South Side Chicago. Yeah, and it's, I mean, if they modernized it, they'd probably show more of that. And we watched Shameless, so we saw a lot of a painted version of the South yes. Side because it's told from a Hollywood perspective. But you still get a pretty dark storyline in that. So I can imagine if... Well, you said they are remaking it. Yeah, Jordan Peele. That there's going to be a lot more on that. And I don't know why they didn't show a little bit more of that. They just showed a couple gangbangers and windbreakers. And the dog that was a little bit scary. But that was about it. I. It seems semi-obvious to me. That I, I wouldn't say it's completely obvious. But I feel like they are they were trying to hide that stuff. That Would the you think real, that was a creative choice? or I, I think so. Because this movie's very deliberate. It's not one of those movies that you can watch and go, oh, maybe they thought of that. I guess you don't want to exploit poverty in a way. Like, the real danger is what the way that black people and people that lived in poverty were treated by the wealthy white elite. Yeah. So, I do guess I have to understand that, and it's not fair to watch. And it's even even when you do see that, like when she's poking around the, the washroom on the basketball court, and the guys come in... It's yeah. an attacker there. Yes, they're quote-unquote gangbangers or gangsters or whatever, but they've also taken this myth that they've been left with and have had to live with and taken it and used it for their own benefits. So, because that's the great flip in this movie is they know that this, they start hearing these stories about from the, you know, who tells them the first story? Oh, the black women that are janitors at the school. And she's just like, oh yeah, go tell me. And just, like, it's on assumption that she'll get all this information. Mm -hmm. And here's the story about this attack in the building and cops didn't come. Nobody believed this woman at all. Because of course they didn't. 
it's just another screaming woman hysterical in the projects. Well, and that, I think, is what the root of this movie is. And obviously, being of European descent, we have to be careful about the perspective that we talk about this movie from. But what I saw Candyman as is the anger of oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, Candyman, essentially, for those of you that haven't seen the movie, um, was an artist. He was a poor farm boy, I guess, that worked in this village in a wealthy white person wanted him to paint his daughter. Mm -hmm. So he comes over, paints the daughter, and then he falls in love with her while she gets pregnant, and then they brutally kill him. Burn him alive, I think. They 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 stake him out and cover him with honey and let the bees have him. Okay. And, well, they cut off his hands so he can't paint. Just horrific. A horrific display of racism and bigotry. And then his ghost comes back as Candyman that terrorizes... Poor black people in the projects, which I was a little confused about why that's your target audience. Why are you not attacking the people that and avenging the people that killed you so horrifically? Well, it's it's odd how they present him because he's not a traditional slasher in any way. No. He hasn't been in the building murdering people willy-nilly. In fact, he keeps referring to them as his congregation, and it's their fear that he needs to keep this this hatred and this power alive. That it it's not like you look at something like a nightmare on Elm Street, where Freddy is burned and comes back to do all this fun dream shit, but he's still completely Freddy Krueger. That's who this man was before he died, was this maniacal destroyer of children. It feels to me that Candyman, as a as a ghost, as a specter character, bears no resemblance to who he was. No, and I didn't like that, and even Logan pointed out, I felt that I wasn't scared when I saw him. There was, like, it's not like he was covered in bees or he was distorted, like, from being bitten. Like, they could have made him weeping sores and that would have captured maybe what's going on inside of him. But he's this very handsome, clean-cut, almost European-looking black male. Yeah. That once you see him, it's like, eh. Well, I I like that elegance of his presentation. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You do see later on when he opens his jacket and you see that he's all been eaten by the bees and his stumpy, gross hook that looks great. But you are right. There's a, a much more of a... He's more of a presence than he is, like like you said, like weepy, terrifying kind of a thing. The idea of him, um, of his power and his that pain, mm-hmm. I think is almost more commanding in a way. Because later on in subsequent, because I did three of these, it became a little more stab of the week by the third one, where he was just kind of running around hooking people. Which you just, you want to have a fine balance. It's like the Hellraiser character. Pinhead. Pinhead looks creepy with the pins in his face, but he has an elegant presence that's even more terrifying. So I just wish they had done something else with him to make him terrifying. Yeah. Because when you see the monster, it's like, okay. Well, yeah, it's much more of a romantic presentation. Yeah, it's like a, what did we say? Dracula. Yeah, it's very gothic. He's presented in that very, like, you know, yes, he. we first see him and you're in a car park and, like, it's creepy and you know something bad's going to happen because you know he's the villain. But it's still in that 
first way that you first meet like Bella Lugosi's Dracula or Christopher Lee's Dracula, especially or, uh, Christopher Lee's Dracula. CC and Everett. Yeah. <laughs> where they're they're so handsome and broad. Tony Todd was a very handsome man. And you're like, they can't. And then this beautiful dialogue starts coming out of his mouth. And his voice is so commanding that it's it's at the same time a nice flip from what we've been getting with the masked killers and the burned, messed up people. But at the same time, it's like, it would be fun to get a little more of the grossy, grossy, hacky, hacky. But Just something like, it, even if he steps into or steps out of the shadows and you get like, almost like a holographic thing where you see what's really underneath him and all mm. of this pain and wasting away. And then he can go back to, because we do get the gore. I thought one of the most powerful scenes was, um, was it her name? Veronica? Helen. No. Which one? Uh, oh yeah. Helen who plays her. Uh, oh, uh, Virginia. Madsen. Virginia. Um, <clears throat> when she dies and she's in the coffin and we get the profile view of the coffin and her hair is burnt to the bone, like her scalp is burned off. And that to me was like, whoa, this shit's serious. She's not yeah. the last girl. She ain't getting out of there. Yeah. She sacrificed herself to save this baby. Well, that's, that's what's nice too, is it you're by, I think by transcending that typical kind of slasher hack and slash motif we're also transcending the typical final girl tropes of that girl who is pure and and she'll rise up and she'll take down michael myers or freddie or jason or whatever here no her arrogance and hubris bought her this and does she deserve it as a person no no but does she deserve it as a representation of Privilege. You know, of privilege and white privilege and that power system that has grown since he was murdered all those years ago. And that's She what becomes I, that victim, that representation of it. I love about Clive Barker, and you've introduced me to him as a writer through his children's books or YA novel. I guess I don't know how you'd even describe it. They're yeah. not even, they don't really fit in there. Um, but what he's done on paper with those things is it's, he has a lot of his... Um, antagonists are elegantly terrifying. Yeah. Like Christopher Carrion and Abrat, he doesn't have to run after you because he's going to catch you. And he kind of walks through with long robes and cloaks and... As he's breathing in his own nightmares. Yeah, it, yeah. that's horrific. <laughs> and every other character that's bad or suffering in some way is basically suffering because of their own demise or gluttony or sin that they have. Yeah. And that, I think, was captured in this movie where they show her burning to death because of her. She could, like Pandora's box. She just yeah. had to know. Yeah. She's literally burned on a pyre for her, for her sin as she's working to save a little black child to take that, you know, that almost, I don't want to say martyr. Well, she's but, not doing it to be a martyr. She's doing it to save the kid's life. Yeah. It's not like I want to be the hero of the day. It's like... Yeah. I fucked up, I unleashed something bad, and now i got to save this baby. Yeah. And she burns as she gets out of the pyre, because I'm like, wow, she's going to get out. And then she, and it was like a really, there was no denouement, or there was no climax to it. She just got out, and then she, like, combusts, and yeah. people are trying to put her out, and I'm like, shit, she died of her wounds. Like, that sucks. <laughs> and it is, it's such a bummer, because it just never gets better. You know, the her he's causing some kind of hallucination with her. Just this, you never get a clear kind of grasp as to what his 
powers are. You know, like Jason and and Michael Myers, they're just unstoppable. They're kind of like sharks. You can shoot them and stab them and hack them up and they keep coming. Freddy, you know, has complete control over. He can make things appear in the dream world. Like you get, you know what they can do. With him, it's just, it's wonderfully vague. He has no clear set of powers. His presence is just so overwhelming. Well, isn't that what the Europeans did? Yeah. They just come in and just bulldoze everything, yeah. and you wake up in a situation. It's and they don't do it in a frenzy. Like, when they came and um, colonized, or they came and took black slaves from Africa, it wasn't this... To me, when I read history and look at it, it wasn't this frenzied slash-and-grab kind of thing, rape and pillage. I mean, they did that too, but it was a presence. It just yeah. it was a presence that bled out into the world, and this kind of a reflection of that. So I thought, I thought... It was brilliant in its discussion of that and creepy. It didn't. It did not scare me. Yeah. Watching it again, and I did not get any of the meat that I did when I was a child. Obviously. Well, that's what's fun about a movie like this is you can like we've talked before about especially when we were working on our play, making sure that you're entertaining the adults and you're entertaining the kids at the same time. Right. This film, if you watch it as a kid, you're going to see. The guy with the hook and the bees and the creepy places and the painting and like ah and that that's enough for a kid to be scared. Heck yeah! But you you'd have to be, find one fucking sharp eleven year old who's going to be sitting and going some racial allegories are played. <laughs> I think uh, we'll have to revisit this one. We'll sit down and talk it over uh, milk and cookies with mom tonight. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I don't think that children should watch this movie. No, it's it's not one of those fun movies for kids for for the most part. I'm sure there are a bunch of kids that saw this young and it changed well, their perspective. I, I probably, but I think that as in terms of a sleepover horror movie, like maybe Halloween. Yeah, go go for one of the Halloweens, <laughs> the Friday the Thirteenth, the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Like they're they're easier horror movies for kids to digest. But I think it's something that... <laughs> Aaron probably panicked and was like, I'm just going to pick one and get back home. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Mr. Graffiti's only had so many choices. Like, you could only... It's not like we were going to Hello Hollywood or something. Or but regardless, it's yeah. something that has stuck in my mind all of these years later. So, it, I mean, clearly it made an impact then and it makes an impact now because I thought it was just really great. Yeah. And that that's what the best horror movies do. Is they leave you with, whether you become a horror freak or not, which you obviously didn't, but they leave you with a lasting impression and you get to have a great story tied in with it. What I did like, too, is they they did some mythical allegories. I'm just reading my notes over here. Um, Even naming her Helen. Uh, I mean, it's loose, but she's the one that brings war or starts the war upon all of this because he there's some references where it's almost like he's in love with her the way that Dracula seduces his victims yeah first so I thought I mean whether that was intentional or not um was interesting well yes you have you know the face that launched a thousand ships so you have this because Virginia Madsen's beautiful she's, and she's yeah. beautiful now it's this beautiful perfect blonde creation stepping into this environment and completely upending, destroying everyone's lives. Unintentionally. Yeah. Un- unintentionally, yes. There was never, obviously, didn't want anyone to be hurt by what she was no, doing. No, and if anything, she was concerned about 
the people that lived in the projects and why there wasn't any help. And I almost could see her working towards this was a means to an end. Yeah. No, it was, it was very, very rewarding. It's upsetting that it was upsetting at the same time that I'm pissed. I haven't been watching this movie because, oh my God. Cause when I heard that Tony, or when the Jordan Peele was remaking it, it's, you, you have those idiot knee-jerk reactions. They're like, okay, well, Candyman, that kind of fits into his, his political vibe. But if you've seen what the... what I haven't seen Us, but what he did with Get Out, and he's going to be taking on Candyman, it's like, this is either going to be the greatest thing ever, or he might just poop a little bit on his shoes like his Twilight Zone show. Well, and but, I don't think it it would be intentional that it's like, oh, I'm not going to put everything I have into that. It's whether what he comes out with is something that you think is a good Yeah, I'm remake. I'm I'm interested in anything that he does, especially after Get Out. But, no, it's there's not a lot of films that I would say could use a remake, even though we just talked about Prince of Darkness using a remake. But I think given the political climate we live in now, yes. Candyman is something that could be updated really well, but it could also be used to do a lot of good. It can say... You can say a shitload with that that you can't just come out and say to people's faces. Yeah. So. No, I think yeah. it's I think it's great. No. I look forward to it. No, it was great fun. Now, something that I still love, but I don't think Jack would consider a lot of fun, is our next film, our final horror of the month. I'm holding back my reaction because I know how much you love this film. Yeah. So. And I do have some smart things to say. <laughs> okay. So, William Friedkin's The Exorcist is a film that, if you just taking it as a film... Sorry, I'm laughing at Jack. She Stretching my the, hammies. She's at the gym and she pulverized her hammies. Um, no one can see. I was hoping that you weren't going to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> no. Stretching. Yeah. Um, the Exorcist is a film that has a reputation that long precedes itself. Growing up, it was it was something that was talked about, at least between my friends. It was something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The saying the title to adults would get a reaction where you could say, you know, as a 10-year-old, say, I want to see the actor, and your parents would go, no. Yeah, I know. Dad, this stands out for him is one of the movies that terrified him. So that that gives power, especially when you're little. If the adults are afraid of this, you know, this is a movie that could bite you. And the adults treated it that way, that it was it was a dangerous thing for you to go and see. So when I know you, you laugh, you laugh, but you, you're just fucking dead inside. So you don't get to I'm have not, that joy. I, I do have a rebuttal f- for everything that you're going to say, and that's fine. This is what we're here to do. We're discussing yes. it. Yes, we're, we're having a grown-up discussion. <laughs> but here, here's how the story plays out. I, as when I saw Hellraiser 3 and started getting into horror, that opened a, a floodgate. And going over to Blockbuster all the time and buying movies and just chewing through the, the classics, getting everything I could get a hold of. And Jack would watch some with me, some she wouldn't. But this was still early. We had just moved to Greenlawn, so I was maybe 12 or 13. So 
I got the Exorcist one night. And even, I think, you at that point were like, okay, let's see what this is all about. Well, our parents were out. I don't know what they were doing, but it was like a spooky night. Yeah. I remember it that they were out late, and I always got anxiety when they weren't home, just because I was anxious. Yeah. Um. So we're going to watch The Exorcist. In our living room on in our house where we were in high school, there's two couches, and Jack's on one couch, I'm on the other. And I proceed to have my world completely rocked by this film. It was everything I wanted it to be. It was horrific and heavy and there was imagery that I would never seen before couldn't believe but I also I wanted to believe I went into it ready for this film to to knock me over and and be almost totemic in its own way on the other couch (laughs) from the other side of the room came a near constant litany of what the fuck is this? Why the fuck is she saying that? What? Oh, can you see how fake that is? <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over there just in fucking vibrating, and Statler and Waldorf are on the other couch just can't stand the exorcism. Get out of the farmhouse! Oh, like just losing it. It's, on this film. It still makes me laugh to this day, and I mean no disrespect to the movie because I get it. I really get it. This is still, like, when it came out, it was 1973, right? Yep. So we, we've we separated church and state, but we're still coming out of dad being raised Catholic yep. and having to go to church, mom being raised Protestant United. So it really wasn't separated depending on the household you grew up in. Yep. So it was blasphemous, and I understand. Yeah, and that's it's a good thing for us to discuss is the time when it was made. <laughs> because when it was made, this imagery still had serious weight. You know, there was, you didn't fuck with this stuff. Well, and, and some of it I get, like, even Logan looked at me a couple times when she's, like, stabbing herself in the crotch with the cross. I'm like, what? What is just happening here? Hold up. Back it up. Let's talk about this. And then she turns her head around. and I mean, there's a lot that goes on in between then and now. Yes. But, bitch, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's, what, let's break it down. <laughs> what? Let's let's break this thing down. If you don't know what the actress is about, the fuck is wrong with you? It's the actress. <laughs> Linda Blair gets possessed. That's the movie. But what the movie really is about is it's a meditation on despair, and that's what the the demon Pazuzu, the devil, is trying to make these people do. And it's so expertly Excuse crafted. Me, what was his name? Pazuzu. Why? Because that's the name of an actual mythological demon, so they took it and used it here. Pazuzu. Pazuzu. Like, okay. I'm not... That's the part that gets you? (laughs) Well, there's a lot. (laughs) But it's about despair. You, It comes into this environment where everyone in their own way that it comes in contact with are broken. You have the broken family and the mother is trying to deal with her child. You have the faithless preacher. You have the, you know, the aging holy warrior who's been dis- physically destroyed by dealing with these these creatures over his over his career. And the film is so confidently done that I look at it almost in a similar way to the thing where he doesn't have to rush anything. 
he's just slowly, methodically moving you forward. And it's done in these confident master shots of and wide shots throughout most of the film and then slowly starts to get more intimate as we get trapped in this room with this fucking creature and Dick Smith's makeup. What, whatever you think about the head spinning. Okay. Just the (laughs) makeup on Reagan is such a terrifying image. It is. She becomes very gray and chalky when pizza poo poo shows up. (laughs) (laughs) Were you working on that name while I was, I was talking? Um, <laughs> so I think they have nothing but confidence when they do that type of thing. If you're going to have a teenage girl jam across in her cooter, you need to be confident with that approach. <laughs> well, no, there's an entire genre of exploitation where they could have easily gone that so way. So I do have a couple questions because okay. I sat here and I'm really, I do get what this film is. I can laugh, I can make fun of it, but I I do respect that it has a following and it did scare people. It just didn't scare me. Mm -hmm. I'm not scared by the devil. I'm scared by human serial killers or people. But that being said, what I felt I was missing in the beginning was an actual buildup to Reagan's odd behavior. Because we see her steal the cookie and that's all fun and games. And then all of a sudden she's in the doctor's office swearing. I would have liked to see the buildup of behavior that legitimized this insanity. You are not wrong. Okay. In terms of because we are... The explanation he gives is in that quick scene with the Ouija board. And she starts talking about Captain Howdy. So he's kind of leaving us to do that work. Did they cut out some scenes? I honestly don't know. Because the, I wanted, like, is it the Ouija board w- that brought him into the house? Was she just put, like, why her? There's never any explanation. If it was the Ouija board, there should have been more of a focus on that. Yeah. In my opinion. I And I, I get that. And I think if they could have added any more there, that would have been even just a few minutes. Of her alone of in the basement and talking to somebody. stuff. The other thing I felt was not explained, and I mean, this doesn't affect what happened later because it was intense from that point on. With the priest's mother, he goes and visits her. She's alone. He knows he has to intervene, and then all of a sudden she's tied to a bed. Well, what had happened, they they do explain that. Um, She had had a fall and then had an outburst. So she was taken to, and you see the hospital. She's in, that's... Yeah, you can go to the hospital in the States without insurance, but that's what happens. Yeah, and I, I assume that it, it's a, a contextual thing. Yeah. Contextual thing. Um, but I was looking for something more. Like, I lo- yeah, I get they tell you, but why don't they show you instead? I I take all that is it's it's meant to further make him despair. It's... You know, he, he can't get to his mom. He goes up, takes the train to New York once a week to go and see her, you know, whenever he can get there. So that's riding on his conscience. It's just this destruction of this man's faith in the world and in society and in himself. Like and I, I so shattered by I all see this. that. I just wanted a little bit more so that there wasn't left with holes and me going, what? What? It, why is she strapped to a bed? She didn't do anything wrong. 
Well, they do, when he's talking to his brother, they do say what happened. But that seems like an aggressive solution to a problem of an old lady falling. She had his. She had a violent outburst. That's what they would do in the public hospitals, just restrain her. That didn't look like no public hospital to me. That looked like a mental institution. Yeah, that's they. It looked gross and horrible and terrible. So that I mean, those are some of my criticisms. I, I less about the the mother and more about mm. Reagan's behavior because I feel like there's a, so much potential there. Okay, well, I have a question for you then, because obviously the the exorcisty stuff had no impact on you whatsoever. An intentional decision that uh, William Friedkin made as the director was to make the medical procedure parts of the movie just, if not more, horrible than the exorcism. Yeah, it was horrific. How did that, especially as a mother? It was horrific. And as a mother watching that, I mean, I used to have nightmares that you and mom would go into the hospital and someone would drill a big hole in your head. And I would never see this hole. It was a reoccurring nightmare. That reminds me of the time you try to drill a hole through your head. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it wasn't a little hole. It was like you guys would have this big hole that I could see through. And it was when we lived on Mark Street. Like, it was always in E-City that this would happen. Um, there was like a sewing shop or something around there. And it was always in this alley. And it horrified me. Um, probably some of the experiences I had watching you go through some health issues too mm. and being tied down on a bed probably led to that but this brought back some I had flushing disease which I was no, talking no, about no 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 it was with you your talking about when they restrained they me they put the red dye in your bone oh, marrow or in okay. your okay so yeah. this is I was little 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 and that traumatized me because I remember jumping on the doctors and that's when mom and dad said no that's enough to let you up because they were hurting you so yeah Medical procedures were barbaric. I'm like, just take a damn x-ray, okay? We don't need to be doing well, this. We're doing spinal taps and all kinds of horrible yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's and awful. It's... And it, it, it to me, that was more barbaric than the exorcism. And it's a good a good commentary on uh, westernized medicine yeah. and how there's a lack of understanding of mental health. There's so much stigma. The last thing they want to do is send her to a psychologist or psychiatrist because that means that she's just an untouchable. Yeah, there's a failure of, <clears throat> of their, you know, white men in jackets power. We can just fix it with a pill. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. I I also liked how that further served to to blur the line between the fantastical and the reality-based elements because it's a film that feels incredibly real because there's nothing fanciful about the camera work or the editing or anything. Like, it is a real-looking film. So you combine, at least for me, you combine the medical stuff, which looks very real if you've ever been in a hospital, even today, and the fact that in the movie, they're shooting a movie. So mm-hmm. for me, that part was very clearly saying, this is, a mo- this is a reality where other people make movies, which means what you're watching is real. These are the people that make movies. They're not the people that movies are made about. So those two elements, I think, perfectly put you off center because you're watching a fantastical film that's, or a film of fantastical elements that's brutally real in its presentation of medicine and reality. And you don't even have the safety of movies in this universe. Right. You're watching something so starkly horrible that they've taken away the protection of science and art. And, and I, I love it. that. I just, if 
the special effects weren't so silly, I guess. Like, oh. I, you may look at it and think that they're great. I think it looks so fake. So nothing about it terrifies me in any way because my gut reaction, and if I offend people, well, I offend people, it just looked fake. The puke, the puke's not that color. Um, it's, it's demon puke. Okay, okay, demon puke. Say that word out loud again. Say that term. Say those two words. Jack, look around my room. Obviously, I'm very comfortable with the concept of a demon puke. Okay. Okay? Like that, <laughs> that, to me, is not a sticking point in, in this film. It just, I, it, they lost me with that, and it's unfortunate because I do get what is going on, and I get the context of watching it. It's the same way I feel about Star Wars. I went, meh. Because it just was, I wasn't in that vein, and it, the storyline didn't grab me, and it wasn't my time, and I'm not afraid of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not into space travel, so <laughs> I wouldn't. I'm not into heroes' journeys on other planets. I got no. shit to do. I got laundry on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, pretty much. But it just there. I leave it, and I go. Thank God that's over. Um, but it just didn't, it did not do it for me. But there are elements that I think if you made a really good updated remake, it could be just as terrifying. Okay. Well, they've done the, the TV show. Uh, Gina Davis is in it. I think it was Fox had it, and I think someone else has it now, where they're kind of re-going through those elements from the okay. first movie and then veering off into some new stuff. Probably not going to watch it. Okay, no, no. <laughs> uh, what I did enjoy, uh, the performance by the mother, mm-hmm. um, was really good. She's always good in whatever I've seen her in, but I think she captured really well the um, the career working mother trying to balance a divorce, probably a philandering husband, raising a child in wealth. And in the spotlight, because they show them they're on the magazine cover, like, these are celebrities. And I kind of like that we saw that, and we didn't feel sorry for them because they were wealthy. It was, it was, could have been in a a project somewhere. The same storyline could have happened. But it was, that was good. And then I thought Linda Blair's performance, obviously, was great. Yeah, for for someone who had done, if I'm not mistaken, no real acting before this, and she was handpicked out of obscurity, now... Linda Blair's this strange, sad tale of her life because she is almost a proto uh, Drew Barrymore. She's still worth sixteen million dollars. Yeah, where she was like, thrust into the spotlight young, and back then it was you were going to coke parties and yeah. all this stuff. And she, if you, I can't recommend enough looking into the rest of her filmography because she made so many great fucking exploitation movies. Um, Savage Streets is incredible. Uh, she did a couple couple of women in prison movies that are great. Oh God. Um, Sarah T, The Confession of a Teenage Alcoholic, is hilarious. Uh, it was a TV movie about the dangers of teenage... Uh, TV movie of dangers of teenage drinking. And it's hearing the kid, the seven-year-old, say, I was mixing scotch with my milk at recess might be one of the greatest lines I've ever oh heard in a movie. But, yeah, her this this movie both catapulted her career and completely destroyed it because she would never be anything but the little girl in The Exorcist. She's probably doing pretty well. Like I said, I looked up her net worth. 
So she's not hurting. Well, no, she got later on, once the exploitation and all the nonsense stopped, she's heavily involved with animal welfare and different foundations like that. She, and she was doing well for herself. Yeah, oh yeah. She's not hurting no. in any way. So. Um, the other thing I did want to discuss about this, because now these type of things really affect my overall viewing, and I'm sure if we talked about the seedy underbelly that goes on backstage... Mm-hmm. Um, there would be so many movies you could let me know that these terrible things happen to actors and actresses specifically. Um, there's a scene in the movie where... Can you please tell me who played the main characters? The mother? Like, I, Ellen Burstyn? Ellen Burstyn. Yes, if I'm it? not mistaken, that's her name. Um, she kind of gets catapulted back into a corner against a big yeah, bureau or something. Right down to the floor. And you told me that during that scene, much like... Um, Margaret Hamilton in The Wizard of Oz, she was injured. Yep. Her tailbone was broken because of the director's insistence that they do the scene over and over again with more force behind her being thrown yep. to the ground. Um, that upsets me because I think it's abuse. I don't it know is. if it's because she's a woman. Like, would they do that to a man? I, uh, it's, I don't know. To... There's no excuse. No. I'm, I'm not making excuses for, for anyone. The time was very different. We are in the heyday of the director cinema, Ugh. where these guys have all kind of, they've stormed Hollywood. The casting couch. And oh. to a point, but it's more so the point of you have these directors who now for the first time exercise complete and total creative control. And they were revered as very godlike. And they were going from one incredible success to to the next and kind of rewriting how Hollywood worked with each one of their movies. So William Friedkin had just come off the French Connection. He swept the Oscars that year. And he a lot of these guys were megalomaniacal dicks. Um, William Friedkin was that way. Peter Bogdanovich fit that mold. Francis Ford Coppola, Godfather, Apocalypse Now. And I, they I just, fit that mold where it was, fuck everybody. We're going to do whatever we want to to get these movies made. And everyone's going to let us because we're making so much money and we're so critically revered. But... For somebody like Freakin, this was the height of it. He'd never... I just think it's wrong, and I look yeah. at modern examples. So that movie, the, A Dog's Life, that came out, and there was some rumors that um, were unsubstantiated in the end when there was an investigation that a dog may have struggled longer than necessary to exit the water for a scene. And the movie was lambasted. It, some places didn't release it. People were boycotting it en masse. And then I hear stories like this where I'm like... Mm-hmm. Where the hell is the human rights, women's rights, children's rights? Who is monitoring this and policing it? And why are we still continuing to support these men that made these films in such a way? It, to me, it sours the whole thing. Not that it sours our viewing experience, but I hear those stories and I'm like, ugh. Well, it's the history of Hollywood yeah. is, is littered with those, with those bones. Um, and this one in particular, when I was doing a little more research into it, apparently there was rumors of nine deaths on set. Yeah. The guy it, who played the director, they killed him in the movie because he died yeah. while they were filming it. It's that's a lot of that is press. 
if they, if people involved have said, if we had been making a romantic comedy and these accidents happened, no one would have batted an eyelash. Right. But because we're making, we're adapting what was the biggest book the year before, considered blasphemous, we're making this blasphemous film, oh, the devil is coming to get us. And they wah, played wah. they played into that hype. They had them come in and do priests come in and do blessings of the sad. Oh my god. Oh, of course they did. Oh my god. Of course you do that stuff. It's showmanship. Can you not it's hype. see the cheese dripping off of it? Of course. Okay. As long as you know that. Oh yeah. Okay. The the behind the scenes stuff and using those, you know, because then you can then variety can run a story, you know. Set, you know, Fox is the exorcist, or Warner Bros. the exorcist has been. A priest had to visit the set, and oh, oh, yeah, no, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's great hype. You can't buy that press, so no, the if it, it can hurt sometimes learning those behind the scenes stories, and especially with these lunatic directors. If anyone would like to know more. Um, there is about the director's cinema. There is an incredible book called uh, Easy Riders Raging Bulls. And it is about basically the time period from Bonnie and Clyde to Star Wars. That seven or eight year period where Hollywood completely was turned on its head. Directors like Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg and Coppola and Bogdanovich all kind of stormed the gates and took control for a while. Uh, I can't recommend that book enough. It's incredible. Well, and I know that being exposed to, like, classic Hollywood as we were with Mom, we know some of the stuff that went on, and this is pre-Me Too era, so we knew that Frank Sinatra beat his wife and kids and was an alcoholic. We knew all of that stuff. Oh, yeah. And we all just kind of went, but they make great movies, and we move on because we're entertained. And now, looking back at some of it, like, I can't watch The Cosby Show anymore. We tried to watch it post- that scandal Mm -hmm. and it's just so soiled for me that I can't do it and I feel like the more I hear about this controversy that goes on backstage and from my own experience in local theater it's just it's upsetting to me well there were obviously so many productions where nothing ever happened other than just the genuine hardships of of making film and then there was you know, you want to hear a really fuck story? Look into the making of Apocalypse Now. For Christ's sakes, they hung real dead bodies from trees. Oh, my God. Like, you're just madness. How do we support that, though? Do we... Like, I don't. I don't like Coppola movies. But do we allow those things to still garner the respect that they do, knowing that these horrific events went on behind the scenes, and actors and actresses were mistreated, and anim- I mean, animals were mistreated from that darn cat. Do you remember watching yeah. that with mom? Mom's like, oh yeah, that cat got stoned. And they throw it off a building. Like, Do we not go and look at the Sistine Chapel? No, I, I get it. I it, do. It, it is. I'm not, I'm not saying like you obviously don't yeah. know that. But that's... I struggle. I do, I do struggle line, with it. You know, the entire history, the entire thousand years of, of our advancement as an artistic culture was paid for by the Catholic Church, for the yeah. most part. And that's how many hundreds of thousands of women and children were tortured and murdered and suffered. Well, how many exorcisms were done for people with mental health issues or women who were hysteric and wanted their own sexual identity and autonomy? I mean, you get into what really is the despair behind the movie, but I just find what's more upsetting to me than the movie is 
that realization. The history of Hollywood is a some oft times very sad history to dig into. Yeah. But usually behind the biggest glitz is the most grim. So food for thought. Yeah. Food for thought. Yeah. But I mean overall, I I get it. Yeah. I just I'm I'm really proud of myself for not <laughs> No, for I am. your humbleness? No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. Hear me out. Hear me okay. out. Okay. Give me great. Give me great. Um, I'm proud that I haven't faltered in the last 20 years in my viewing of this and that I've just have this opinion of this movie and no matter what, it's yep. going to stay the same. And I went into it with an open mind. I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I'm not 14. Maybe it will be different. And it's just a movie that I don't like. Mm-hmm. And not that I don't like it. I find it funny. Which is not the intention of the film at all. I, I get, though, how you could have that funny reaction because it's so stark. It's like most people would stark like... naked. Let's, let's put some stuff in shadows. Like, let's kind of demystify it where he's like, Nope! Spinning ahead! Medium shot! Right on the bed! Yeah. Still be good. We're gonna, we're gonna, 98% of people are going to throw up in the fucking aisles. Yeah. 2% are going to be in the back going, oh, <laughs> Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the risk you run, though, with this kind of filmmaking. And I get it. I can appreciate it as a piece of art. It's just not to my taste, and I don't think I'll ever stop laughing about it. And not in a mean way. I don't I don't mean to tread on your um, expertise or your enjoyment of the film, but Bob, I just can't. No, and I, I, I honestly didn't expect you to watch it this time and go, what an idiot I've been. <laughs> this is the greatest thing ever. I wasn't expecting that. I, I hoped you could, as you did, view it from a critical place and go, okay, I would rather eat my shoe than watch this again, but I understand why it's impactful, why it works, the things that are smart, but these things, these details... Just, I can't get past them. It's just, and at yeah. the end of the day, it's all, it's just not for you. No. Nope. It doesn't get the hair up on the back of no, your No, it's not my stare. It's the same, uh, oh, what movie did it? Uh, the other one that didn't do it for me that I just laughed at the whole time. The, the girl, Samara, crawls out of the... The ring? The ring. Um, first of all, I hate Cottonmouth. I can't stand her. Um, Naomi Watts. She's like she's got. <laughs> Are you calling her cotton? Mouth? She's got like cotton balls in her mouth, like her cheeks. I just there's something about. I don't. Know, it's not her fault. It's not her fault. But it. <laughs> I just can't watch her. I just can't say cotton mouth. Um, and it's funny because Logan's dad was terrified by this movie. Hmm. Terrified, but I am not afraid. Those are not the things that scare me. I get, like, the Duck scares me. If you're going to show me something that happens in the half-dream, half-awake, lucid dreaming space, I'm scared. Which is funny, because the Duck is so incredibly influenced by The Exorcist. It's... The Exorcist is that movie's single biggest influence. Okay, but there was no Cinematography to its sound, especially its sound design. But, I mean... And that's interesting that that would appeal to me, but that storyline scares me. Oculus scared me. That kind of stuff. Or Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake. I don't think I could ever watch it again. Those things that have actually affected me, like a man killing you or a woman killing you, that's scary. Something happened in your dreamscape? Yeah, that's scary. I have night terrors. So, supernatural demon doesn't. Fair. 
But Candyman was scary. Yeah, Candyman was great, and I still still love. And the even to this day, watching The Exorcist, I'm not scared as I once was. Yeah. But it's still a it's a heavy film for me because I have those memories of being scared, and I still don't like looking at Reagan. That image to me is very off putting. Well, and I kind of like watching that because it's interesting who in the room it will affect. Yeah. I often find that males are more terrified of that type of storyline. In the in my experience, they're not typically afraid of slasher guys that can kill you. Maybe. From yeah. what I've seen in past relationships, the exorcist type of movie, that type of thing will scare guys the ring. I mean, something interesting for for an academic to look into. Yeah. I mean, there probably is. I'm going to look it up and see if there's been papers on that because, I mean, it plays to gender stereotypes, right? Like, if you're a guy, you don't think a guy with a chainsaw can kill you because you're a guy. Where girls are like, ooh, they're going to kill me. But it could just be, <laughs> it could be a gender thing. Which is funny because I found the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre when I watched it, that was so overwhelming and I was so terrified. But it's because the film itself is overwhelming. Um, we should have, if I had known that the chainsaw remake was got in your head so much we could have done oh, Chainsaw Bob, versus the remake. I almost left the theater. We can still do that. I almost left the theater. I was so horrified. And I was 19, 20 when it came out, right? Like, I'm trying to think of when. I saw it in theaters. Didn't we go? No. Because we went and saw The Hills Have Eyes. I went with Brian. Remake. Paddlesey. Didn't we go and see The Hills Have Eyes? I think, oh yeah, we went and saw that. And again, that was another movie that just did it. Like, Mountain Men, you put me in the forest and there are people chasing me. And if there's any type of rape exploitation, I'm done. Like, I'm just done. So we can look into that. Oh, House of a Thousand Corpses? Nope. No freaking way. Did you see Devil's Rejects? Probably. But I blocked it out. But if you put me in a situation that could actually happen in real life. Yeah. I don't subscribe, ascribe, subscribe to religious doctrine, so I can see the creep factor, but it's not in my zone of reality. But you put me in a house with people wearing Victorian costumes that are coming at me, yeah, that's scary. We could go there. (laughs) We could go down that road. Okay. Maybe we'll go down that rabbit hole another time, maybe next Halloween. But this this was fun. This was a good crop of movies to watch at Halloween so any of Jack wouldn't necessarily recommend most of them but I would recommend Candyman to a certain viewing audience now I just I need to go back to Quotely Corner because I didn't do my research I'm just going to throw in what I already did because I think it's fitting Okay. so this week I'm going to reiterate how could the Roman Catholic Church keep a secret for 2,000 years the demons are actually real yeah yeah. <laughs> there it is, folks. There yeah. it is. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> Enough fucking Halloween. <laughs> but we hope that you guys have enjoyed this little uh, tour through horror cinema with us. Um, find, go and find movies that scared you when you were little. Um, find that's what's great about the genre. You can constantly find stuff and revisit stuff and find stuff that'll. You know, just get those hairs up on the back of your neck. And it's different for everybody. Ask your friends, your family, what movie scared you, Mom? It's you know, fun to watch Jim. it or read books that had an effect on you and then go back and revisit them as an adult. And you might be horrified because now you're a parent or yep. grown up. And you you look at it through different eyes. So, yeah, I, I agree. Good advice. Thank you. And uh, call your mom. If you haven't talked to her in a while, she misses you. Give her a call if you're still lucky enough to be able to do that. So, next week is the no episode because we don't do this weekly. Fuck. Um, next next week I'm sitting on a 
beach. Yeah, <laughs> next month, because we will be into October, when or uh, November, when we come back. Um, Jack had September. I have November. It's my birthday month next month, everybody. And so it's why did f- you pick Anna Green Gables? Well, because I wasn't thinking. We're doing some episode swapping. Yeah. But, yeah. That was a soft choice. It was a very soft choice. <laughs> Anything in the world. You could make me watch that Cannibal Corpse torture thing again. Cannibal Holocaust? What did I say? Cannibal Corpse torture thing? What did you say? Cannibal Holocaust? Whiffy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, it's going to be uh, everything I want all the time. Oh, my so, God. So, this is actually an episode, uh, we're going to start the month off, that uh, you were supposed to get a little earlier, uh, but it got bumped because uh, real life is is a dick. So, to start the month off, we are going to be doing a pure head-to-head. Uh, one of these movies completely changed my life, and I have 10,000 stories about it. I love it so much, I went all the way to Pittsburgh for it. The other movie was, in my opinion... Just okay, but Jack <gasps> it, loved it. It maintained my love affair with being trapped in a mall. <laughs> yeah. So we are going to be going head-to-head on George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead and Zack Snyder's well-intentioned Dawn of the Dead remake. So it should be a lot of fun. It'll be all malls all the time. Zombie, zombie, zombies. Yes! Yeah. So, and yeah, that, that I'm actually looking forward to that because the Dawn remake has a lot of selling points. But Sarah Polly. But yeah, we swapped out Avonlea for Avonlea. Yeah. <laughs> what do you know? See, went from a soft choice to a bitey choice. <laughs> a bitey. <laughs> Love it. It's a little bitey. But we want to thank you guys very much for joining us. You can find us on Facebook at 14 Months Apart. We are also on iTunes. If you'd like to check us out that way, you can just set us to automatically just slide right into your iTunes folder, and we'll be there waiting for you every other Friday. But until that's creepy. <laughs> it isn't as strange. We'll just then you wake up. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, no. Just play. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. <laughs> but again, thanks, guys, very Thank much you. for joining us. And remember, a lot can change in 14 months.